You're tuned to Community Radio, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Wednesday, November 10th. It's 6 p.m. and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. I'm Claudio Mendonca. Tonight, the California Report covers inequality. KQED's Katie Orr provides details about a new PPIC poll that shows that many in California are concerned about the widening gap between the rich and the poor here in the Golden State. Plus, a story about fast food workers across California walking off the job to advocate for better working conditions and higher wages. After regional news and weather, we'll listen to this week's water news, and we'll close tonight with a commentary by Rachel Blake. This is the California Report. I'm Laura Clivens in San Francisco. Many people in California are concerned about the widening gap between the rich and the poor in the state. KQED's Katie Orr reports on findings from a new survey. The poll from the Public Policy Institute of California finds an overwhelming majority say the gap between the haves and have-nots is getting bigger. But PPIC President and Survey Director Mark Baldessari says even in these partisan times, there's a lot of consensus about how to fix the problem. Whether it comes to creating more affordable child care for lower-income workers, whether it comes to improving job training, and also when it comes to finding ways to provide housing close to work in our regions that are more affordable for people, there's much work to do. More than 75 percent of Californians think the government should help low-income families pay for child care. Even more support increased funding for job training programs. For the California Report, I'm Katie Orr in Sacramento. Fast food workers across California walked off the job yesterday to advocate for better working conditions. KQED's Shireen Kareem has more. The workers are calling for the passage of Assembly Bill 257, which would establish a fast food council to set standards for industry wages and working conditions. Crystal Orozco is a shift supervisor at a Jack in a Box in Folsom. She says that she was threatened with reduced hours after she complained about a lack of breaks. The bill is just gives us the opportunity to talk to the main people and voice ourselves and let them know what's going on. The council would include workers, restaurant owners, and representatives from government agencies and corporations. The group would have the power to set standardized wages and working conditions. Assemblywoman Lorena Gonzalez authored the bill. So we want to standardize more of it in order to ensure that every worker in these franchises have the opportunity to have a safe working condition, to have um, a quality job, and, and to be able to keep themselves safe in times like when there was a pandemic. Ariana Navarro, a Burger King employee in Stockton who walked out, says she hopes the bill would improve working conditions. During the heat wave in Sacramento, it was like 115 degrees, the AC went out. And very unsafe, unsafe working environment to be working. Just imagine how hot it is in the kitchen. Vice President of the International Franchise Association, Jeff Hanscom, who poses the bill, says that setting up an unelected council to determine wages is an overstep. We don't think it's the place that the legislature should abdicate their authority. Abdicating this authority to an unelected and somewhat unaccountable body, uh, in our view, is, is not the best public policy and, and certainly not one that we support. Fast food employees that walked out says it doesn't end here. They'll continue to advocate for better wages and working conditions until they get them. Oh, definitely. I'm going to go to every strike, even if it's not my floor in particular. You know what I mean? Fast food workers are better when we stand together. 
For the California Report, I'm Shereen Kareem. COVID-19 vaccination numbers continue to improve within the Los Angeles Police Department. According to Police Chief Michael Moore, about 78 percent of LAPD personnel have received at least one dose of the vaccine, with many getting their first shot over the last week. This comes as the department has begun delivering notices to unvaccinated employees, 2,000 notices so far. Those individuals must pay for regular COVID testing and be vaccinated by December 18th. Otherwise, they will face possible termination. Over the course of those deliveries, we have now assigned two of our sworn members at home for refusal to uh, sign and enter into the agreement and one civilian. Vaccine mandates have become a hugely divisive issue for law enforcement agencies and fire departments across the state, with large numbers of staff threatening to resign. But that hasn't happened yet. Chief Moore says the department will continue to push those who are not vaccinated to get their shots. It is our intention to have a fully vaccinated workforce. We continue to provide uh, information relative to the power and the value of this uh, vaccine uh, and its protective values for uh, all of our personnel, their families. Uh, and those that we come in contact with. Santa Clara County's jail system is seeing a surge in COVID-19 cases. That includes more than two dozen new cases reported on Monday, the largest one-day total in the past nine months. According to the San Jose Mercury News, there are 100 active cases in Santa Clara County jails, with the majority reported at the Elmwood facility in Milpitas. The sheriff's office tells the paper it's following public health guidelines, but declined to say how many inmates are vaccinated. Support for the California Report comes from Water Heaters Only, specializing in the repair and replacement of water heaters since 1968. Licensed and insured, open 24 hours a day, every day. Learn more at waterheatersonly.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together, on the web at schmidtfutures.com. And Stanford Medicine, Protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash AdaptingCare. Former California Governor Jerry Brown has convened a group of experts and ex-government officials to tackle one of the state's biggest problems, wildfires. Cap Radio's Scott Rod reports. These days, Brown spends his time on a ranch in rural Calusa County. And like many places in California, it's vulnerable to wildfires. The group of roughly 20 experts gathered at the ranch and produced a declaration laying out what the state should do to minimize fire dangers. Ken Pimlot served as chief of Cal Fire under Brown and participated in the working group. We're all in this. We're all being impacted. This is a generational challenge we face. It's not a one-time, one-year issue. The state and federal government spend billions more on fire suppression than fire prevention, but the group advocates there should be equal funding for both. They also call for more prescribed burning that mimics fire's natural role in forests. The declaration pointed to an investigative series titled Dangerous Air, spearheaded by public radio stations in California, that documented how western wildfires are blanketing the entire country in harmful smoke. That's everyone's problem. You don't have to live in these communities to be impacted. As a matter of fact, many of our urban areas, our cities, were impacted the greatest. Pimlot says the two-page declaration is just a first step and must be followed by collaboration between state and federal agencies, along with private groups. For the California Report, I'm Scott Rod in Sacramento.
And that's the California Report for Wednesday, November 10th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Laura Clivens. Thanks for listening. Yesterday, according to a release, the Nevada County Board of Supervisors unanimously awarded nearly $2 million in community resiliency grants funded by the American Rescue Plan Act to 32 local nonprofits, small businesses, and special districts. The county received 73 eligible applications, totaling almost $5 million in requests that met federal guidelines. The county's community resiliency grants are intended to support community-serving institutions and programs responding to the negative economic impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic. Quote, the pandemic hit every sector in Eastern County, so it's gratifying to see these federal dollars bolstering vital nonprofits serving the small businesses in downtown Truckee, as well as our youth and vulnerable populations. That from Supervisor Hardy Bullock. I think this is a model for how government can be nimble and responsive to the community's immediate needs, end quote. The county invited applications from the myriad of community centers, from arts and cultural centers, granges, senior and veteran centers, daycare and family resource centers, and recreational centers. Quote, in my district, our gathering places have barely held on during this crisis. Groups like the Penn Valley Rodeo and the Rough and Ready Grange are at the heart and soul of the community, and I'm hopeful these federal grants will get them back on their feet. That from Board Vice Chair Sue Hoke. Autumn is here, and with the season change, the air becomes cooler, the leaves change color, and the local bear population begins preparing for hibernation. This is the time of year when bears seek massive amounts of calories for their winter den cycle, and the California Department of Fish and Wildlife would like to remind us all that human food should not be part of that diet. Wild black bears normally eat around 5,000 calories a day during the year, but now they need an average of 20,000 to store as fat over the winter. Bears in the Tahoe Basin tend to consume more than they need by eating unhealthy human foods, as well as staying more active over the winter months to try and take advantage of unsecured garbage and food. Habituated bears, and males in particular, will often leave the den during this time and seek out easily obtainable food. Females, which will give birth at the beginning of the year, are more likely to stay in their dens. This could explain why Tahoe residents still see some bear activity in the winter. Living and recreating in the Lake Tahoe Basin's bear country is a year-round responsibility, and the California Department of Fish and Wildlife is asking everyone to do their part to help keep bears wild. Never feed wildlife and always store garbage in bear-resistant garbage containers. You can find more tips on keeping our bear population wild at tahoebears.org. Turning now to the arts, six days ago, the city of Detroit in Michigan joined California cities Arcata, Oakland, and Santa Cruz, Denver, Colorado, Washington, D.C., and the entire state of Oregon by decriminalizing psychedelic mushrooms. And yesterday, the results of the largest randomized controlled double-blind psilocybin therapy study were released. The Phase 2B trial, conducted by Compass Pathways, a British mental health care company, involved 233 patients and demonstrated that the mind-altering compound in psychedelic mushrooms is effective as a remedy for treatment-resistant depression. 
Psychedelics have been used by artists for decades to inspire their work. On Friday, an exhibition of psychedelic art titled One Step Further opens in Grass Valley. I spoke to Brian Chambers, a collector and the curator of the show. He says that the growing acceptance of these substances will legitimize the art. I think that in today's climate with, with uh, you know, all the all the medical work that's going on with psychedelics and how they're being used to treat PTSD, depression, addiction. And as they become more socially accepted and even legalized, we're going to see psychedelic art kind of moving from the outsider realm into the blue chip arena. It's exciting to see everything happening and uh, definitely very proud of this exhibit that I've been able to put together. I think it's a, definitely the coolest show I've ever been involved in, and I can't wait for everybody to see it. The collection will feature contemporary artists such as Mars One and Oliver Vernon, as well as rare original works by artistic giants not typically known for their work in the visual arts. One of the incredible pieces is I've got the only oil painting that Jerry Garcia ever did. He did that in 1966. I've also got the only watercolor from Jimi Hendrix that's in private hands. He only did a little over a handful of them that are known uh, to exist, but the estate has all of them except this one. And this one, in my opinion, is the strongest of everything that I've seen. And Jimmy clearly loved it. The show One Step Further opens this Friday. November 12th at 3 p.m. at the Chambers Project at 627 East Main Street in Grass Valley. And now for regional weather. In Nevada City, Grass Valley tonight mostly clear with a low around 47. Tomorrow, Veterans Day, will be sunny with a high near 68. In Truckee Tahoe, tonight mostly clear, although some areas will see freezing fog after 1 a.m. Tonight's low will be around 32. Tomorrow will be sunny with a high near 60. And in Sacramento and the surrounding valley, tonight, partly cloudy with a low around 49. Tomorrow, patchy fog beginning around 4 a.m. and continuing through 10 a.m. Then it'll be mostly sunny with a high near 69. Next up... Paul Emery and hydrogeologist Steve Baker discuss wells, conservation, and the need to adapt to living with less water. This Water News with Steve Baker is supported by Clearwater and Filtration on Rough and Ready Highway, Grass Valley. Steve, uh, even though we entered a new wet season, Mm -hmm. I still think about the last dry season or several dry seasons. Do we ever really not have to be concerned with pending dry weather? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, would you ask any farmer that very same question? <laughs> you know, farmers, are, they're used to changing conditions every year. And so what do they do? Well, they, they adapt. It's just what they do all the time. So we really want to mimic how our farmers uh, view this sort of thing. It's burnt into their psyche. And some years, of course, are worse than others. And we've gone through some pretty tough years most recently. This this year has been pretty, pretty tough. Uh, a woman, June uh, Mo, Moua, uh, she's a farmer down in Central Valley. 
she's looking at this year as being very difficult because she could only water her kale and her bok choy every other day. That's just to keep things alive. That's how she had to deal with it this year. And she has accepted that some of her 10 acres, uh, which is the size of her uh, row crops, uh, her land there, uh, it's turned into this crunchy stuff that's brown. So uh, you win some, you lose some. You do the very best you can. You adapt, you adapt, you adapt. Declining groundwater levels make it harder to pump water into her fields. So, Steve, can we take some time off from our concern for water right now, or do we need to take some type of action? Well, we can take a breath. I mean, it's raining outside. We can all take a breath, but we still, as we take that breath, we need to keep moving forward on these, uh, on our efforts. Now, those of you out there with piped water, think permanent conservation practices. Don't get in your head that, oh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's gonna, it's a drought year. It's not a drought year, so I can use more water this year or next year or whatever. Don't think that way. We are permanently using, having less water available. Just look at it like that. It's an anomaly in our in our annual seasons if if we have a good year it will happen every so often that we will have a good year but pretty much we have to live with less water so for those on a pipe i would suggest that groundwater is a little different i I learned something this year and one thing i learned is that this past year i uh, people had this perception that ah if my well goes dry i'm going to use it till it goes dry if it goes dry no big deal i'll just deepen it or oh i'll just drill another well if i have the money (laughs) right well, that's not really feasible. And this year, we really started to see more of that because there just are not enough drillers to meet that demand. As, as, as it gets worse, and it, it will, unfortunately, you're not going to be able to hang on that as you're the way to solve the problem. You're better off taking steps that help avoid your well going dry. And what that means is that you need to know more about your well and your own uses and how that impacts your well. And I'd be happy to talk to people about that if they should reach out to me. Well, Steve, uh, what you just said, um, I had a personal experience with that. Um, after the big, uh, the big uh, rain, I was having some concerns about my well. And deep in my mind, I was thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm really concerned I might have to dig a new well. And, and I was quite aware of what the waiting line is for that. And it would have been quite an experience to go through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you sh- you shared that with me. I, I recall that. And for many of you, you you may have experienced a similar circumstance. When we have our first big rain, the gusher that comes out. A lot of times, what happens in our wells is the the water flowing into those previously uh, empty fractures becomes fractured, and that water's turbulent. It's just cranking, and it's lifting up those finer materials and transporting those, unfortunately, into your your the hole that your borehole of your well, and then your pump pumps that that what used to be clean water uh, into it pumps it out as a kind of a muddied water or a water with some sand in it. But it's usually short-lived. If it happens, it happens uh, very significantly, and it might clog things up and be a bit of a pain, but then it will slowly go away. So uh, be patient with that if it happens, and consider raising your, your pump intake a little higher in your well so that you don't end up in that zone that gets so muckety-muck. Well, Steve, thanks for the advice. I appreciate it. Managing groundwater is Steve Baker's career and passion, and that has led him into working on all water sources and supplies. This has been another conversation with our water guy, Steve Baker, on KVMR Radio.
the holidays are upon us. To close out tonight's newscast, we bring you a commentary by Rachel Blake, a waste management recycling assistant, about how you can share holiday cheer while being mindful of your impact on our environment. Give a gift to the earth. The holiday season is festive with parties, family, and gifts. It's also when we generate the most waste, 25% more trash than during any other time of the year. Change this by strategically practicing the reduce-reuse-recycle mindset. The easiest step to take in creating a sustainable holiday season is to make sure you're recycling right. Always recycle clean paper, cans, bottles, and jars. Remember to keep recyclables clean of any leftover liquids or food. They're damaging to recyclable paper materials. A peanut butter jar doesn't need to be 100% clean, but don't place a half-filled jar into your recycling bin. Packaging, wrapping paper, and ribbons pose larger issues. Any plastic packaging should never be placed in recycling. Paper wrapping paper can be recycled, but not if it's made with foil. It should be placed in the trash or reused. Maybe consider adopting a brown paper packages tied up with string approach. Reusing gift wrapping or bags can have a tremendous positive impact. Reuse ribbons and think about how you can turn part of the gift into the wrapping. If every American family used two feet of ribbon, we could tie a bow around the entire planet. Place plates or tableware in placemats, a tablecloth or kitchen utensils in an apron, or a decorative dish towel. Make your own wrapping paper by using maps, posters, newspaper, or magazines. Donate any unused holiday decorations or gifts that are not needed by your family. Consignment and secondhand stores are a great place to search for that unique gift or amazing New Year's Eve outfit. Thousands of paper and plastic shopping bags end up in landfills yearly. Start by bringing reusable bags for holiday shopping. Tell clerks you don't need a bag for smaller, oversized purchases. If you do need to use plastic bags, bring them back to recovery boxes. Just because they can't go into your recycling bin does not mean that they need to go into your trash. While attending a party and bringing a dish to share, package it in a reusable container. Use washable dishware, napkins, and table coverings. Decorate with plants that your guests can take home or candles. Make recycling easy for the people in your home. When two and a half tons of food waste is rescued from the landfill, it cuts a comparable amount of greenhouse gas emissions as taking one car off the road for a year would. So when you have leftovers, send it home with your guests and donate it if you can. Lastly, consider gifting experiences and memories instead of items. Maybe a community-supported agriculture, CSA box, tickets to a concert or museum. Having a sustainable holiday season is possible. It just takes a little thought and planning. For a general list of what should only and always be recycled, visit wm.com and select Recycle Right. For an extensive list of what to recycle and what not to, visit ncclimateactionnow.org forward slash recycling. Happy holidays. The views expressed on this show are those of the speakers only and are not necessarily those of KVMR, our board, staff, volunteers, or contributors. That's our newscast for Wednesday, November 10th, 2021. KVMR is supported by you, our listeners, and by Nevada Cemetery District since 1942. 
a public agency providing maintenance and care of historical and contemporary cemeteries in Nevada County, offering environmentally sensitive green burial services. Pre-planning and plot reservations suggested. NevadaCemeteryDistrict.com And Four Paws Animal Clinic. Dr. Susan Murphy and Sue Lester and staff are proud to support KVMR, providing medical, dental, alternative, and surgical services for cherished companions on Searles Avenue in Nevada City. FourPawsAC.com Stick around. Up next, host Holly Grimaldi Flores will talk to local author Jan Fischler, whose latest book, Don't Stop Now, addresses staying active and relevant as we age. Then at 7, we bring you Democracy Now!, followed by Celtic Cadence at 8 p.m. Thanks very much for listening. I'm Claudio Mendoza. Have a great evening.